Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we rate and review and chat all about some of our favorite comic books and graphic novels. I'm your co-host, Alice. I'm Alexis. And I'm Anne. And this week, we are bringing you a special doubleheader week. We were so excited to be a part of the press tour for Crowded Volume 3 that is coming on the feed at the exact same time as this. So make sure to go listen to that. But this episode, we're talking about our weekly pick, On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden. Oh, this is such a good book, you guys. I'm so excited. Y'all don't know this, but we've already been talking for like five hours. <laughs> it literally has been five in five minutes. It'll literally. be five hours. Yep. <laughs> it's great. We're all hyped. We're ready mm-hmm. to talk about some space lesbians. It's great. Woo. It's my favorite subgenre in all yes. of fiction. Especially when they're blonde. <laughs> no com- No one in this... Is anyone in this book blonde? There's some in this... I think Alma's blonde, right? No. No. Alma and... Jules is blonde. Wait, Jules. No, Alma and Jules are both redheads, aren't yeah. they? Who am I thinking of? I think Elle might be blonde. Frankly, they're... Elliot's blonde. Purple. Yeah. Purple. Elliot is blonde. Elliot's they're purple, blonde. red, and blue are what colors <laughs> they are interchangeable depending on the page yeah it's all right okay it's great see i but... just went through the entire cast just to prove that i know them <laughs> yeah we just had to name drop everybody really fast so we don't forget anybody um but no this is so fun when i tell you i read this so fast mm-hmm. i oh my gosh i loved this one it was definitely a good surprise and what I were you t- expecting i don't know i knew i I feel like the name definitely gave me, like, space ideas already, like, on a sunbeam. I don't know. Like, so definitely, like, I was expecting space. But it was just so, like, beautiful to look at that I was like, this is fantastic. I love this. And I, I don't know. I have, like, so many thoughts that I want to jump out of my head all at once. But, um it was really awesome. And I I don't know about you guys, but I love like the web like webtoon format of mm-hmm. books. It makes it so easy for me to read on my phone especially cuz I don't read a lot of like hard copies of things, which sometimes like that's why I feel like it takes me a little bit harder to like read or like get into stuff cuz it's I hate reading it on my phone. But I don't know. I loved the format of it and it was so nice and like easy and accessible. It was just great. It made a world of difference for me to get a tablet to read my digital comics. Like, I didn't think it would because I used to read on my phone. And then I finally, like, saved up some money and splurged. And it's been, like, a night and day difference of how much I like my digital comics. Oh, I need to do that. This is – and actually, I'm going to go off that for a second. This is a book I read back in November for the first time. And I read that in trade because I found it at the library. So I picked up that copy. And I just read it straight through like that. It's a nice little book, but I actually think I liked reading it on digital better. And that doesn't happen a lot. I just think that a lot of the colors seem to pop better on digital than they did on the page. That's really interesting because I, I read mine physically, mm-hmm. um, but I would go digital anytime I wanted to like screenshot or share yeah. something. Mm-hmm. And so with that process, I actually didn't love the digital, but I don't think it's because I, like, I wasn't immersed in it, if that makes sense. I was like scrolling really fast to try and find 
that makes pages. Sense. Mm-hmm. And I know I read an interview from Tilly Walden about this book, and she's never read a webtoon or a webcomic before. Mm-hmm. She just published it this way because she doesn't like publishers and how long it takes <laughs> to publish books. Um, but so, like, what was interesting to me is the page composition isn't like any other webtoon I've read. Like, it really just seemed like a comic book that was stitched together vertically to be scrolled yes. through instead of that like there wasn't a lot of play with the idea of it being a webtoon it was mostly just the way that we got to read this regular comic yeah i think that really worked it's just i'm the thing that i think of most when i think about this book is just serenity not like as in the movie serenity but like as in the feeling oh it's so like beautifully peaceful Mm-hmm. While there's still like crazy things going on, mm-hmm. I love it. There's gonna be a few like Studio Ghibli like references that I make through this, but it's just it really gave me that vibe. I could hear like that calming soundtrack in the background, just these dreamy um, scenes passing by one after another, like something out of a surreal like vision, and it's just so soothing even though there's parts especially towards the end where the action really ramps up and stakes get more intense than i could have ever imagined they would and it's just an absolutely unique experience in that regard it's this is so special i say this a lot but this is such a special comic i think we have such a good knack for finding special books that are so unlike anything else out there this is a book that i i love to recommend to people because I know everybody's going to love it. You know, I every, and then every time someone tells me that they read it and then how much they love it, I feel like I gain HP, frankly. <laughs> I, I gain get strong. And once I'm strong enough, you all have to read strange Academy. But and I've already started. So, you know, you're getting pretty strong. I know. Ooh. Very strong. Very, very strong. Alexis, you're going to love that book and you're going to be know, like, I know. Oh, how did I put it off so long? <laughs> Shut up. I haven't put it off. I'm just too busy reading the other damn books you have on my list. But oh, that's a mood. So for anyone else who may not know, Tilly Walden, the creator of this comic, is one of the youngest Eisner Award winning comic creators of all time. Mm-hmm. Tilly is a certified comic book genius, and it shows in spades in On a Sunbeam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to re- um, read that um, Brian K. Vaughn quote about her? Yeah, so last week we covered Saga, what I think is my favorite and one of the best comics of all time. And Brian K. Vaughn says, Tilly Walden is the future of comics, and Anna Sunbeam is her best work yet. It's a space story unlike any you've ever read with a rich, lived-in universe and complex characters. See, and that's exactly what we said about Saga last week. <laughs> so coming from that, it's wow really interesting to see how these two different if you were to compare them like that how these two different stories approach not just space as a setting but how characters react to that setting you know Mm -hmm. like these are very much people who react and act like people in the 21st century like they're just they're going to boarding school they're doing like real life things they're dressed like normal people where there's nothing like really alien about their appearance but the setting is so fantastical that it really just draws you in and i feel like a lot of that's the opposite of like saga where it's like a lot of times the settings are what you would expect from a sci-fi world but the characters are so different and fantastical that that's what really draws you in and Mm -hmm. it's just i think that's really cool to see you have to keep something sane in a sci-fi story so your audience can stay grounded and yeah i just i think this gets such a great job at that 
I think the real hook of that though is the the dual nature of the narrative with there being half of the story being like boarding school teenage coming of age drama and half being like space opera mm-hmm. and I know again reading interviews which I picked up from Anne by the way and a couple weeks ago when you were like you decided to read an interview before the show and then you made it the best show we ever had now that's <laughs> something I do when I read comics I go and read yeah. interviews about them and it makes mm-hmm. me like them more but Tilly Walden said of this book that someone asked like why the double narrative and she was like no reason other than I wanted to write both books and so I just decided to write both books she's like I simultaneously wanted to write like teenage drama at a boarding school and a space opera and I was like why not make it one book because (laughs) at the time Tilly said she was right at the cusp of adulthood so she wanted to reminisce about what it meant to be a kid but also really dive in and dig into what it means to be an adult I really like that because I think looking back I'm looking at my favorite chapter in the whole thing which is just chapter six and I noticed like during this part where they're just young and exploring their own relationship with each other exploring this blossoming young um blossoming young love they they're in some really fantastic and open and wild settings and it's just like something that goes on forever and ever and that's such a youthful feeling it's just like the world is so big and everything you're discovering about yourself and the people around you is so big and it feels like it just goes on forever and ever and I think that really highlights in the settings that she picks for this, especially when we move into the adult versions where things are a little smaller, a little more confined, a little more decrepit, especially when we get to the finale and we get to um, the staircase and things are really rough when the story gets to its roughest part. And I think that's such a great way to use setting to highlight the themes of the moment in the story. Mm-hmm. And since this is such like a visually beautiful comic as well like I feel like that plays so well into it and like the way that the colors are used and like the setting it's just you feel like a physical reaction to all of it and Mm -hmm. even just like I remember I screenshotted the very first like I mean there were a ton that I wanted to but like I remember I screenshotted a full page of like her just like standing where like where that ground was breaking under her Mm -hmm. and like the panel of just like the architecture around her and the colors it was just so beautiful and so tense at the same time because like the red and the peach coloring came in and you so you mm-hmm. could tell that it was like a stressful moment and so it just was like I could feel exactly what she intended with the colors which I thought was really cool I think there's so many subtle things that she does with colors in this. There's, you know, a lot of blues that are very cool, very calm. That's where a lot of that serene feeling comes from. But also the uses of varying shades of red and peach to emphasize not just anger. Because I'm looking, like I said, I'm looking at chapter six because I really think it's like the greatest chapter in this whole Mm -hmm. thing. It says so much without saying a single word. The moment where they're passing the bullies and everything's really calm and blue. And then there's the one panel where the main character, Mia, is shooting a look to the bully character. And the entire panel suddenly becomes like, blood red mm-hmm. and you just you feel without a single word the the anger that these two share the animosity that they share between characters but then you go further on and you get to another page where the characters are again shaded in like this red color but it's lighter it's more peachy it's romantic it's sim- um, symbolic of these two characters falling in love and it gets lighter in the one panel where they finally kiss and then a little darker when they embrace mm-hmm. and then finally it's just the scene of them kissing in the boat 
with the entire cave just basked in this lovely like ruby color and it's so so gorgeous and it's i i wish i knew so much more about art like in comics than i do because it's just this is the one that makes me want to get into it because i'm like i need to understand what's being told to me because i can feel it you know i can feel mm-hmm. what this comic's trying to tell me i just don't know how to put it into words all the time yeah dallas was making a face he's, he's always like, some, whenever he's i mention art say. dallas is like i got this hold on one second <laughs> Um, something that I really like about the colors, Dallas mm-hmm. Color Theory Taylor Woo! here. We need a we need a your own podcast on that. I didn't even realize that's something I did until people started making fun of me for it, and I was like, <laughs> "Do I really talk about color theory that often?" Yes. Um, but this follows the same basic structure as David Matsukeli's um, Asterius Polyp, where one narrative, there the three main colors are blue, red, purple in this book. And the, obviously there's, there's more mixing than what I'm about to say. And I think the mixing is brilliant, but a lot of the childhood scenes are this lovely light blue and lots of blues. Um, Moments of passion from the childhood are red. And then largely the adult narrative is purple. Mm -hmm. And so I like the idea of, for me at least, childhood felt like a lot of loud moments of a feeling and not a lot of blending. It's a little bit like inside out, actually, how like you have all these singular feelings. And so there are moments where Mia feels mad, where Mia feels love and like lust almost, you know what I mean? And moments where there's serenity, peace, joy. And then, so then taking the red and the blue and blending them together into a lovely purple color for the adulthood is a subtle way of showing the growth that Mia's had since childhood because Mia doesn't blow up in the same ways. Once she's an adult, she doesn't have these big swinging emotions of being a 14 year old girl anymore. And I thought that was, that's never said out loud, but I thought that it was a beautiful way to show it through the colors. I'm having a moment to take that in because I knew there was definitely a difference between the flashback scenes and the like current scenes, but I couldn't put my finger onto it. And as soon as you said that, it it all made sense because I'm like, yeah, I'm looking. Thank you for actually teaching me something today, Dallas. I appreciate it. It reminds me a lot of Greta Gerwig's Little Women, which I think is one of the best crafted movies of all time. I will come Mm -hmm. out and say it's in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. 2019's Little Women. For good reason perfect movie mm-hmm. um but the decision there to have the split narrative and to use lighting and color grading to signal to us what timeline we're in because the actors don't change was brilliant and i th- the same trick is going on here where you don't have to guess what time period you're in because of colors and character designs i think that's like one of the things that's bugged me, we talked about it a little bit earlier off camera, but I haven't been clicking a lot with the Batman Catwoman run that's going on right now with um Tom King and Clay Mann. And I think one of the reasons is just the first couple of issues I read were just too confusing in the way they were executed for me to follow. Time would flip from panel to panel, and I wasn't always necessarily sure what I was following. And I was expected to follow similar timelines just jumbled together from issue to issue and it's just like this isn't enough work for me to follow it month to month maybe in print it would work better but month to month it doesn't work because i have no idea what i'm reading it takes too much energy for me to sit down and like decide where each panel is happening and this one i've never i didn't have that problem with it 
even when there's moments in the same chapter where they will switch between timelines. I like that. Yeah, because even if you're not aware that that's what it's doing to, like, communicate that, it works to communicate it. It's subconscious. It lets you know that something is different about this panel you're looking at. There's just so much in this. This is so fun. <laughs> um, yeah. What did um? What did we all think about the characters? Oh, I love them all. I love them. <laughs> I love this book. I want to buy it. Um, there is the prettiest hardcover of it from Avery Press that I oh, have I to do. Oh, I just bought it on Amazon. Love that for you. The hardcover one. Yep. <laughs> With the pretty purple and blue cover. Yeah. Oh, I'm jealous. I have the paperback. I know, and I it's beat up. This is one of the most beat up spines I have because I've read this book like 19 times. <laughs> this poor first second addiction has <laughs> a very crease spine. Oh, I just I just looked up the book you're talking about. The cup. Oh my god, that's beautiful. beautiful. It's a beautiful and Avery Press makes beautiful books. I have Alone in Space, Tilly Walden's newest book from Avery Press. And look how pretty of a book it is. Like, Ooh. look how crisp and solid the lines are. This is great radio, by the way. But <laughs> yeah, listener, right. look at this. Look at this me. stuff. I'm going to go buy all of Tilly's work. Oh, spinning is amazing. Get spinning first. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like, um, if we're talking about her other work for a second, I love this part. Reminds me a lot about this book about just two kids falling in love, which is that in Alone in Space? Yeah. Alone in okay. Space is a collection of all of Tilly Walden's early work. So if you buy Alone in Space, On a Sunbeam, Spinning, and uh, Are You Listening, you will have everything Tilly Walton has done. What? You just said, are you listening? And I said, "Mm, yes, I am. (laughs) Because I was looking at Spinning on Amazon. That's the book, are you listening? That's how good this book is, is it's a gateway into reading all of Tilly Walton's work. And once you read it. Once you read all of Tilly Walden's work, you start to pick up on themes. Tilly Tilly is a lesbian and grew up in Texas at a private school. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what spinning is about is tentatively seeing if there are other lesbians that exist as a 14-year-old girl. And it's really sweet. And I think that comes into On a Sunbeam. Um, Tilly has a real talent for capturing what it feels like to be young. Mm-hmm. Like the scenes, some of my favorite scenes, issue six is phenomenal of On a Sunbeam because there is this little thrill of being young and in love. And for like the very first times, like going to have your very first kiss, like feels a certain way. Going to hold hands for the first time feels a certain way that you, you kind of lose with successive versions, you know? And I think because Tilly Walden is so young, it's she doesn't write it with nostalgia so much as just remembrance, you know, and it taps in to me as a reader, this universal experience of what it meant to fall in love at 15. Mm-hmm. It's very nostalgic. It feels very nostalgic to read through. But not in like a gross way, just in like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not here's your nostalgia, shake it around. Mm. Everyone can relate to this. It feels like the pure version of that. Yeah. Where you're like, we all have the same childhood. Mm-hmm. We like, all fell this... in, we've all fallen in love, you know? Yeah, like this is that whole like fluttery little feeling that you had when you were little, you know? 
the whole did book you... is a fluttery feeling. That's the best <laughs> way to describe it. Just bliss. Did you have a favorite big splash page in the book? Because this is a book that I want prints on my wall. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the one of Elliot in the wall. Oh, with mm. all the like circuits around and stuff mm-hmm. like that was so cool. When Mia looks in there. And they were just framed by the light of the the, the like yellow light of the circuits. That was mm-hmm. so good. Which the cutting of the hair. Oh is my god, yes. Beautiful. The color work in that is great. I just at the one I go straight to is the one that breaks my heart every time. It's the one where she is running after Grace because Grace is being picked up by her family to go back home. And Mia was locked away by the bullies, so she couldn't get out for the longest time. And she gets into the room, knocks the door open, ready to say goodbye, and Grace is gone. And the, the window. And the window is open. And I've and it, never been... it mirrors the last page of the first chapter mm-hmm. when yeah. Mia got invited into the room. Mm-hmm the same composition and i I feel like i knew that i feel like i that's one of the things where it's like i felt like this is similar to something else but the fact that that makes so much that makes so much sense (laughs) that's just it was like chilling uh, almost when she like walked in there and she was gone i was like no it it's one of the it's a scene that makes me want to cry just thinking about it because it's just so sad it's and that's the last time they spoke to each other for what five years it's also really fun comparing the 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 two panels that are mirroring each other. At the end of chapter one, it's all blue scale. Mm-hmm. Everything is a shade of blue. And then at the end of chapter 12, it's peach and blue. And so you can already see that the, the bringing in of new emotions happened because of grace. So where Mia was cold at the beginning of the story, she was distant. She now, she has these shades of peach in her life. And they're going to stay there for the rest of the story. And I think that's a really pretty way of mm-hmm. describing what it feels like to fall in love. I, I feel like it's it's a moment that makes you grow up a little bit. You start to right. feel emotions you've never felt before that don't go away ever again. And it's a really, really pretty way of demonstrating that over the course of that 12 chapters, incorporating more and more levels of peach into the composition. This is so in depth with all it's, of this. It's such a smart it's genius. Comic. It's genius. It's literally. This is one of the reasons the genre exists. This is a story you can't tell in any other th- format. I think, like, not even animation could handle doing what this book does. It's a comic that makes the best out of being a comic, and those are the ones that's just like you need to treasure these. You need to look into these because they explain so much about why we love this medium to begin with why we like this format it's why these stories will never die because there's emotions you can convey in these sort of stories that you can't necessarily get the same way anywhere else and i'm actually like um next month we're gonna be talking to Fellhound about one of her upcoming projects on kickstarter called and we love you and that's another story where it's going to be like that because it's told in such a special way that you can't tell outside of comics and it's just those stories always put such a smile on my face because I'm like, this is this is why these are special. This is why whenever someone comes at me with like something like comics are a medium for children or comics can't be used to tell adult storytelling. It's just always been so ridiculous to me because these are so deep and expressive forms of art that should be talked about up there with like the great novels, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like 
a defense of YA comic book. YA comics are my favorite comics, right. by the way. But I love that Tilly Walden's On a Sunbeam is as good craft level of a comic as Alan Moore's From Hell. Like when I think of perfect comic books that like every single detail is thought out, every single bit of the narrative is there for a reason and will tell you everything you need to know triumphs of the craft there's something cosmically funny to me of it being from hell and on a sunbeam is also that kind of comic book where there's drastically different kinds of stories but the craft mm-hmm. is there like i really it's not hyperbole for me to say i think tilly walden is the best graphic novelist alive right now and she's so young she's continuing to make things And I think she's about to break into a mainstream audience that she hadn't before with her Clementine graphic novels from The Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. Um, She's doing a trilogy of Walking Dead graphic novels over the course of the next three years. I'm so so excited for people to meet her (laughs) and for people to be like, where's this girl been all this time? I was like, 10 years of genius. Do you have have a backlog? We've had her. See, I didn't even... That's kind of cool to me because I didn't know Clementine was going to be a Walking Dead book. I thought it was just like a name for a new Tilly Walden book. I'm just like, oh, that fits. That works. But that's really cool. I did yeah. not know that. It's It spins out of the Walking Dead Telltale video games. Oh. Got it. So I'm going to have to play a damn video game to read a Tilly <laughs> Walden book. And it makes me mad. Oh, you got to go Max Nerd. Oh, you got to do it. You should stream it. Or, <gasps> yeah, yeah, holding my phone under my chin. <laughs> Did you see that tweet that I made? I, I tweeted the other day. I was like, hey, everybody, I'm going to be streaming Untitled Goose Game this afternoon. Yes. I, I don't have a Twitch, so I'm just going to FaceTime you. And I don't have a camera set up, so I'm just going to hold my phone under my chin, between my chest and my chin, and point it at the Switch while I play Untitled Goose Game. I Honestly, I was like, that's that's my personal favorite tweet of mine for the week. You're such an idiot. <laughs> Do we want to talk about all of the characters? I feel yes. like they each have so many like little pieces about them all. Oh, yes, we do. They're so fleshed out. Everybody has an arc. Yeah. Everybody Everyone. has a backstory. Everyone like, is a person. Even the bully is a person. Yeah. Yep. She was, yeah, we were friends for like a few years after that. I was like, what? what? Which is how it goes, though. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. My childhood bully, Talmadge Flitton, was one of my best friends by the time we were grown up. You know? It's yeah. it's just, it's weird. It's yeah, bizarre. Yeah, she's like, she's the reason I had the most traumatic experience of my childhood. But yeah, we hung out after that. <laughs> we were friends. All right. It's And it, it could change in like a heartbeat. I remember um, I was never the most popular person in school for the longest time. But senior year, I had to get up and give a speech for the National Honor Society ceremony where we were like inducting new members. And I wrote a speech intending it for it to be very funny because I know how much people would fall asleep during these things. So I made up the best speech of my life, made the entire school laugh. And afterwards, people who used to pick on me were coming up to me and talking to me like we would been, we've been friends since day one. I'm like, this is new. This is something new. So I love it when things happen like that in real life. People can change and they can change for the better. That's like the thesis of this book. Mm-hmm. True. 
Um, let's start talking about L. I we keep saying let's talk about characters. Yes. I'm gonna point one out. L Elliot is mm-hmm. was the first time I'd ever heard of a person being non-binary mm-hmm. in 2017, 2016 when I read this book. No, I would have had to have been 2017 or 18. But I had never heard of the concept before coming from Utah and my own upbringing. And this book was such a good introduction for me to what it means to have that kind of identity, what it means to be a non-binary person and what it means to be a friend of a non-binary person. Mm -hmm. Watching Jules be a friend to Elle, watching... I, I love when comics just show you something that you wouldn't otherwise understand and just treat it as a given. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is just how it is. This is just how mm-hmm. it is. And this is yeah. how to be normal. This is how to be a friend. Because I think sometimes things want to explain it so bad that it makes it taboo and weird again, where all of a sudden you're like, you're tiptoeing around L. You're tiptoeing around Elliot in a way that isn't authentic and kind. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that L wasn't the non-binary friend. L was their friend who happened to be mm-hmm. non-binary. Yeah. And I think that that's just been a good lesson for me to learn that like people's identities can be, are, are so important, but it doesn't have to be their whole thing. Like, you know what I mean? They are a human being just like you that you want to interact with and want to hang exactly. out with. Mm-hmm. And this book does a great job of teaching that lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's something that's very important to a person but it's not all they are, but it should still be respected. Yeah. And it's not as hard of yeah. a balance as you would, th- as people want to make it or as like, yeah. sometimes I get in my head too much. I'm like, ah, it's like, just treat them like a human being. Like you treat mm-hmm. everybody else. I don't, I don't walk up to a cisgendered man and be like, how do I approach this? You know what I mean? I just treat it <laughs> as yeah. the, de- I treat it as the default, like treat everybody's identity as the default for mm-hmm. yeah. who they are. Yeah, I just yeah, Dallas. Just so you know, I always approach you with a, a little bit of caution. I'm like, okay, you should. I need to. I'm not sure how to talk man. to you. Um, is he going to push his chest together like boobies Ooh. on the Skype today? <laughs> Which he did. He did do. He that. did three or four times. Yes, multiple. There, and to make it's his a good rack. Out. It's a good rack. What can yeah, I say? It's bigger than mine. You're not wrong. <laughs> I'm glad you said it because I was about to. <laughs> I'm about mine. Oh, Great. My. Okay, I was wondering how long it takes to evolve into this. I am we got bu- there fast. Hello, everyone. Uh, speaking as the bustiest <laughs> person on the Comics Collective, Therefore, it's I'd so like, um, with the best bust on this podcast, I would like to now talk about On a Sunbeam, the, the lesbian love novel. It's very good. It's, it's very wholesome. It's very, good. very wholesome. <laughs> I can't wait until I go in for top surgery. I'm just like, so I got this friend, right? Need- <laughs> Give me the Dallas Taylor need package, please. Need to beat it. Give me them DTTTs. <laughs> that might be the most cursed thing I've ever said. And this is going to get sent out to the world. I'm I'm going to quote it somewhere. I'm not sure where, but it I need it on like a t-shirt or something. Get it tattooed. Tattooed? Across your chest. <laughs> Post, no, under, under, under boob. <laughs> yeah, post top surgery and tattooed on your boobs. The DTTTs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, 
This has gone shit already. Oh my god. We were smart at the beginning of this. We hey, were, we made it look, a half hour in. We is, don't usually get this far. This is part of our charm. This is why people like us. Because we're smart, but we're also unhinged. So like, <laughs> it's a roller coaster of experiences. <laughs> Wait, you can make it your bio on hinge. <laughs> unhinged. We're speaking unhinged. On hinge. Say, <laughs> I got those DTTTs. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm done. Turning the time okay, over to you. Okay, cool. So back to Elliot. <laughs> back to Elliot. Oh, the, I think it was very important that they had the switch out in the middle where the captain, where it was Char, right? Is that how you say her name? I, was Char- I said Char. Char? I, that makes I was saying sense. Char because it's Charlotte? It, it Charlotte is the full oh, name. Oh, right. Yep. Okay. So when Char leaves for a little bit and we have the interim bitch pilot sorry that's just that's that's how she is and she keeps misgendering elliot and i'm like that is the most like passive aggressive realistic thing i've ever seen in my life and the way that elliot's friends stand up for them that was something that was very very cool to see this is a book that takes a lot of really great gender like um norms and just kind of throws them out the window because it's a book with only women and one non-binary person there's not a single man in this book no boys allowed earth. in space no boys in space they were left on earth yep it's honestly like that, true true <laughs> it's like that episode of brick and morty where the the girls that one planet where the girls go to make a utopia and the boys oh. get to play in the desert <laughs> and the boys get to play outside <laughs> <laughs> canon <laughs> oh it's so good such a good episode um, hey hey i'm gonna point it out the reason the spaceships were cool in this is because no boys allowed in space every rocket looks like a dick and then all of a sudden you take the boys out of space and we get beautiful koi fish spaceships right pretty fish pretty fish in space oh, stunning that's wonderful big, when we get to talk about the setting here after the characters oh. that's a big thing i want to focus on because i love that but uh l's backstory was fascinating to me oh, yeah i was like as, so my pearls like what spoilers mm-hmm. ahead we're gonna start spoiling this book mm-hmm. i don't think it's a book that suffers from being spoiled but no. if you're sensitive to that kind of thing it's very good Throw please up. go read it <laughs> Jeez, louise <laughs> who, um, let me be, who let me be in charge of this episode <laughs> y'all missed me and i am yeah, it's like Lexi's the heart and soul of this. And we're like, yeah, let's so let's make her the let's make well, her the well. brain for a second, and then all of a sudden. <laughs> um, but Elle's backstory, we learned that Elle is from the staircase, mm-hmm. and what is the sibling question mark of the greatest map maker of the staircase, which was a very Studio Ghibli thing for me. Yes, mm-hmm. and this map maker was killed by an ancient being that is very sacred to the staircase. And so Elliot killed said sacred being mm-hmm. in a fit of rage and was then cast out from and cast out from the staircase and had to be saved by Shar and Alma. Alma. Our favorite lesbian mom. <laughs> oh my god. They're they so are some good moms. They're great moms. Oh, this yeah. <laughs> with the ramshackle pack of little misfits. Oh, you ever God. just be a moms in space and you just keep adopting these little oh, lesbians? This whole book is just two grumpy, a... two grumpy lesbians raising a bunch of other little lesbians. Their little flock that of play, lesbians. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons in their room. D&D lesbians. Do you, do you know a group of lesbians is called a plaid? I did not know that. Not... I, I don't understand actually, the joke. Not, actually, I just made that up. 
funny joke. I thought they were called a Subaru. Oh my fucking god. Hold up. I'm I'm Googling it. <laughs> you know somebody's named it. You know. I know. I think it's called intimidating, is what it's called. <laughs> a group of lesbians is called intimidating. You're telling me. It's when... like Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh no, someone brought up a good point. It's just called a softball team. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> so, Anna Sunbeam is about this softball team in space. <laughs> I can't breathe! <laughs> so, we've officially killed Dallas. Um, everyone listening, my co-hosts are dead. Um, I'm in charge now. <laughs> Um, I wasn't prepared for this. That was so funny. (laughs) Swinging with a softball in space. Um, They've got Elliot on a softball team. team. (laughs) On a softball, she says. (laughs) (laughs) For the record, for anyone listening, this is what the last five hours have been like. Tilly, Tilly, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> Bring it back to center. <laughs> what character are we talking about next? Mia. Let's talk about Mia. Mia and Grace. Yeah, oh. Mia and Grace. Go Should together. we talk about them as a pair? Yes, please. Yeah, oh my god. They're so lovely. You get everything you need to know about these characters, like right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Mia is just that one who's trying to find where she belongs. She starts off as a troublemaker. She just um doesn't know what to do with herself it seems like she has one love in this world and it's that um what's what's it called is it called star the name of the sport lux lux Lux. right and that's all she's obsessed with right that's like fish she doesn't care about school she cares about lux and then she runs into grace the outsider who is wearing flashing shoes her little glow shoes the part where she's like these are the coolest thing i own i was tears down my face yes yeah i just loved the little homeschool girl that was like wanted to wear her cowgirl dress and her glow up shoes i was like protect her right there's um i love the line so much where mia's like aren't you a little old for that and then um grace came back and she's like if i'm a little old for it then why do they make them in my size boom yes oh (laughs) such a good comeback very big five-year-olds yeah Mm. yeah she goes aren't those for five-year-olds she's like well then why would they make them in my size that's really good icon they have such a good back and forth Mm -hmm. and her superpower necklace they really fit where the others are lacking sometimes. Like I keep, I go back to the scene where Grace is, um, Mia's talking to Grace about wanting to play Lux. And she's like, well, why don't you? She's like, because I'm a freshman. They don't let freshmen play. And she's like, well, that doesn't seem fair. Let's go talk to them. And she grabs her poor little girlfriend by the hand and drags her over. And is like, hey, um, she wants to play. And yeah. then like, I tell you that's my entire marriage dynamic right there the amount of times my tiny wife has had to go and be like he did not order these he ordered mashed potatoes and i'm like sobbing in the background like no please 
I'll eat the Brussels sprouts. She's like, it's not what you ordered. And I'm like, I'm so grateful for you and everything you do for me. Love it. She just got this giant husband cowering in the back, like, please get me to mash potatoes. Please. please. <laughs> I'm just a widow man. It's so well. Hell. <laughs> They're one of my favorite couples in comics. I think I can safely say that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just, I like that we see them fall in love slowly. Right? Yeah, I think that's half the magic. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, they were friends that you could tell had a crush on each other. Yeah. You Grace could tell they had to, like... Around. You could tell they had to, like, feel out each other. And then it wasn't all at once, either. We, like, fall, saw them fall in love slow. And then we saw them get to be in love... And so then it really hurt when they had to stop being in love. And the like, school dance. The school dance. With the hoverboard and the little suit and the little flower. The little flower that she I stole just... and sold her life into servitude for. It's just <laughs> that slow build up from chapter one to her the loss of her in chapter 12 just oh, hurts so much. Because you get the moment in the cave where they first kiss and then you get the moment where they're like um floating in zero g and they're saying don't let go i got you and then um finally you know the dance and it's just it's it hurts so much to see that i'm gonna read it again because everyone that's like one of my biggest fears is not being able to like if something were to ever happen to me not being able to tell people like the last words you know like if you don't get to control how that arc of your life ends that's something that terrifies me and that's exactly what happened to Mia here she never got to say goodbye and they did not end on great terms that's something that would have eaten me alive for five years until I got and it did it ate her alive until you joined a softball team and had until I joined a softball team and then they were all like of course we'll go kidnap someone with that was really sweet I love the theme of found family in this comic book of as someone who's sitting here with my found family I, I found my sister later in life. Didn't like her in the first half. We did not like each other until I was at least 17. But She came around in the second half. Oh, that's me and my my um younger brother. Like the first Still waiting for the other one life. to come around. He will. And Just got to give it time. Give time. But yeah, sitting here talking with found family, sending out a podcast to people I consider found family. Mm-hmm. I love that this comic book talks about how sacred of a relationship that is and how it can happen fast. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Anne and I have known each other for a year, but like, I feel so close to you. Mm-hmm. Like, and I like that, again, that was, there's so many experiences in my life that I feel like are mirrored in On a Sunbeam that I don't see anywhere else. Except for, I feel like Saga is the best comparison mm-hmm. to On a Sunbeam. I feel like they're little companion volumes in my head of perfect comics that talk about the human experience. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even know what to classify this with if I was to think about comics that I've read. I just, it's so, so different, but so, so personal at the same time. It's weird how comics and all have like different personal elements that hit you in different places. And it's like, I have one complete heart and there's little pieces that I can attribute to each and every story that I read. Mm -hmm. And this is, this hits one specific spot. And I love that. I treasure that. You know what? This comic made me feel. I know this is gonna like sound ridiculous, but I promise mm-hmm. I'll explain. Like this comic made me feel the same way that I felt when I very first started to read Bone when I was like seven, because it was just like, oh, 
my little heart, you know, like, I love this. I want to keep reading this, like, good, wholesome little story. And it just, like, it had that same feeling of just, like, oh, this is this is good quality, wholesome entertainment right here mm-hmm. with some sprinkled efforts. It's great. <laughs> Adult. <laughs> Takes me back. Like, there's such a mood and theme here that fits a lot of Studio Ghibli stuff. This takes me back to, like, the first time I ever watched um, My Neighbor Totoro, you know? It's just so, so peaceful at times. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes it quickly becomes Princess Mononoke, where people are getting their heads shot off by arrows. (laughs) I think the the pace of this book is one of the most fascinating elements for me. Where I really feel like the first 12 issues are... are slow burn. I think like this book usually takes me about four hours to read. Yeah. And the first 12 issues take me three hours and the last eight take me one hour. Mm-hmm. And like the second, which is, it sounds weird. Cause honestly, the last eight are 300 pages to the first 12 is 200 pages. Mm-hmm. So more comic takes less time, but because was it really that long? the, yeah, it was a 530 page book. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a chonker. Didn't feel like it. Didn't feel like it. I know because it it's magic. Mm-hmm. You get sucked up in it, and it it burns so slow, but in like a really consistent, fun way. And then you blink, and it's over because the action cranks the pace. And whether it's bigger panels, whether it's sparser language, the story doesn't get skinnier. It just Tilly Walden literally controls time as you're reading this comic book. She makes you sit in quiet moments. She makes you take your time, which is crazy because this book isn't very text heavy to begin with. I don't know Mm -hmm. how she does it because usually you control it with words, right? You make a page really wordy. Someone's going to have to spend time there. But with artwork, Tilly Walden makes you slow or fast. And I, I can't explain how she does that other than just wizardry. I think a lot of it has to. I'm so sorry, Anne. You go. No, go for it, Lexi. I'm I'm passing it to you. No, you're good. I was just going to say, we literally have a character that doesn't speak mm-hmm. and is one of the most endearing characters that we have. It just, like, let that sink in. Because mm-hmm. that just really tells how captivating the story is. Didn't need a single word. I think, yeah, it's so cool. And to go back on Dallas's um point about pacing for a second, telling pacing through art can be really, really special. Like, I'm looking at the end of chapter 12 when things are speeding up, like Mia's running through the hallway to get back to Grace. You start to see something at the end of a page, like these small little panels. There's thin little panels, nothing in them, just like colors, vibes, (laughs) stars. That's all that's in them. And it's meant to speed you up to that next page turn. It's meant to make you go, okay, this is the bottom. I need to get to the next page. I need to get to the next page. And then right before the end, it's just one panel of her swinging the door open mid-action. And then one giant panel that you're meant to sit on and just stare at from many moments. You can control art in the way you set up the panel distribution on a page. And even on an online digital format where there's not really set pages, it still works because it keeps you scrolling faster and faster because there's more negative space and you need to get to the next panel faster. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. It's... I don't know how to say it other. I said this off mic, but this book, because of the art style, because it's published by First Second, I can't help but compare it to other comics that I love, like mm-hmm. Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me, 
is a comic that I love. I think it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a sunbeam and just the work of Tilly Walden in general shows a special kind of genius that isn't present in even the best comics. Like I read Laura Dean keeps breaking on me. I'm like, Oh, this is a fantastic comic that I love. This is the height of the craft. And it pales in comparison to the genius of Tilly Walden. And I really, really and truly, I feel like the people I'd qualify as geniuses in this medium are Tilly Walden, Jean Luen Yang, Grant Morrison, Grant Morrison, Alan Moore. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> there it is. But like, that's, that's it. I think Tom King is up there. I don't think mm-hmm. he's, I don't think he's quite at the same level. And I think Jeff Lemire is close as well. Hmm. Like Tilly Walden is firing at a level that all time greats fire at. Mm-hmm. And she's my age. <laughs> Way to make us all feel like underachievers. Mm-hmm. It, like mm-hmm. she's accomplished this at my age. She would have been a senior in high school when I was a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. It's, it's insane. I'm excited for you to read Spinning because it's just as good as this. And she wrote it as her senior capstone in college. Oh, really? So 22 years old, her senior capstone won an Eisner. <laughs> well, well, damn. I will never do okay. anything successful in life. <laughs> My senior capstone was about dolphin, dolphin morbilla virus. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Eisner. Mine was about the use of synagogues as temples post the year 70 CE. Very, very specific year. Anything special about 70 CE? (laughs) Uh, They blew up the temple in Jerusalem. Oh, cool. Okay. Yep. That That is is what happened. That would be the, they tore that down. And so they had to figure out temple worship somewhere else. And my theory was it was synagogues and I used archeology span to show it. Nice. It was a fun paper. (laughs) Good. Good. Mine was not. I do not remember a thing. Do not ask me to repeat it. Dolphins. Dolphins. <laughs> Getting sick. Not fun. Gross. Gross. Um, there's a couple more characters. Um, talk just a little bit about the other member of the softball team, Jules. Ah, uh, love, love. She things. is the best himbo. <laughs> I remember the scene where she's like busting. She's like, you're having a secret meeting without me. Yes. <laughs> she's just so mad. Yeah. I'm like, that's such a, that would, that would be me. Or like if her I... mourning the loss of Mia to hanging out with Elliot. She's like, I miss you all so much. She like stays up till two o'clock in the morning when they come back. She just a cutie. I love mm-hmm. her. I love, I love she's sassy level. and she's dramatic. And I mean, this is something, again, doubleheader week. We just talked about in Crowded. We talked with Ted and Roe about how Vita and Charlie are allowed to be messy. Mm-hmm. They're allowed. I love that this book allows every gambit of personality to exist with a female character. Because that's reality. Like, there are there are women like Alma who are quick to anger, you know? But, like, comic books don't like to show us that. They like to show us stoic powerful sexy women all the time mm-hmm. you know what i mean i mm-hmm. like that jules is allowed to be kind of a drama queen and like a little bit of a shimbo <laughs> and like fiercely loyal 
and kind, you know? It just, they contain, they contain multitudes. And I think that's a strength of being written by Tilly Walden, who is a woman, writes powerful scenes of real women and in like a crazy fantastical world, like on a sunbeam, there are some of the most real characters you'll ever meet. It's just, I think about the scene where they're training on the planet right before we get into that third act intensity. And it's just so neat to see them all interacting as actual people. Because every every line in this is so realistic. This is something I can imagine my friends saying to me. It's things I can imagine people I've known in my life saying. There's not a single line in this where it's like, I'm going to quote this on Twitter and just say, what the hell was this? You know? And that's always nice to see in a comic. <laughs> Especially when you're so used to cape shit doing such weird things. When you got like, I'm, I don't know why this is the first thing that came to mind. Professor X being like, man, I really like Jean Grey, but in like that way. I'm like, what? what? Could you, ex- pardon? You don't get random shit like this in a lot of indie books. And I really appreciate that. I like as well, though. I think sometimes when people want like action, when they want excitement, they want this, that, and the other, they feel like they have to go to corporate comics. If you want a big space battle and exploring the universe, you have to go watch Star Wars. Even if Star Wars isn't very queer, isn't very women forward, isn't what? very what you want. What? What are you talking and... about? They had two those two ladies kissed for for two seconds so they could cut it out of the international versions. Remember that mm-hmm. that one scene? Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. very queer. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, thanks. What? What I'm going to say though is on a sunbeam right up there with the best of them. Like there is action out the wazoo in this. Oh my God. There are stakes. There is scope. There is space travel. Like you've never seen before there all wrapped up in teddy bears. There are knives and teddy bears. There's <laughs> family drama. There's galactic politics. Like everything you can want is right in here. The scene with Elliot climbing through the window with like three arrows in their back. Oh, Oh, and that Char act. was just like, that's a lot of blood. And Elliot's just like, you know, silent, like, eh, mm, yep, that's fine. probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm bleeding now. It's all right. It's a mere flesh wound. <laughs> God, Elliot's such a badass. It's true. What's funny is I feel like when I think about this book, the the middle school drama is what I remember most. I always forget how crazy action packed it gets in the second half. And so every time it's just like, boom, boom, boom. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just as it goes. The, the first time I went through it, I was so stressed out. I was so stressed out from the moment they got to the staircase and every, the, the most stressful thing you can do to me in a comic is get this team together and then instantly split them up into different sections of peril. And I'm like, absolutely not. No, I need them together. Teamwork makes the dream work, baby. Come on. You can do this. I knew how it ended and I got stressed out this time when they when they were Mia got split off and she was riding back so slow on that horse and they were like barely gonna get away as they took off I had forgotten what happened I was like they left her on the planet oh my gosh that that like few pages of her like anguish of being left behind I'm like no no she felt it she was like my family that I thought finally these people accept me she's like they they left left me me. oh it's visceral Mm traumatizing I I had read the book and it was visceral hate 
there's it's so many emotions all at once in this book i just so do we want to shift into setting a little bit yes so this book's got it all folks this book has your high school drama everybody loves a good high school drama everyone's watching euphoria right now everybody has your favorite version of the kids at school book that we all read everybody else should be reading strange academy it's got that it has cowboy shit in space Mm -hmm. on the staircase i forgot that the staircase was cowboy themed and i was Mm -hmm. like giddy up partner yee yeehaw it has red rocks like my home state it had snow covered red rocks and i was like home that's where i live (laughs) that's my home it has fish spaceships it has beautiful like citadel religious sites that they're restoring the little archaeologist inside me felt so warm it was it's amazing every locale is wonderful It's it's hard to know where to start. I, I keep feeling like everything we switched to, it's, it's so hard to know where to start. It's 538 pages, you said, of just pure brilliance. I love, 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 love the living spaceships, the koi fish. Mm-hmm. I love the koi fish so much. They're so pretty, whether they're the actual, the actual sunbeam or whether it's the lux. It's just so unique. You don't see that in sci-fi often. That's something that's reserved for like fantasy books. And my favorite version of sci-fi is where you add a little bit of that fantasy element into it, where you get a little weird with the the sci-fi. Space fantasy. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Which is exactly what Star Wars is. Star Wars is not a sci-fi. It's a space fantasy. And so is Saga. And so is Saga. And so is Anna Sunbeam. Uh, Anna Sunbeam is actually a blend because it, it happens in our galaxy and it does mm-hmm. play. A, it's a tricky one. It's. But there's there's like gods and stuff. There's like mystical beings. So there's three other entities. Space fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again. Space fantasy with a realistic setting. It's just very good. It's just very good. <laughs> we always come down it. to that at the end. It's just good. Because we don't read bad comics here. Nope, we no. read one bad comic here and we're done with that one. So we never go back. Sorry. <laughs> that wasn't sorry. I thought it'd be great too. Oh, I was talking about Grant Morrison. No, I'm sorry. Ah! I'm Kick your ass. <laughs> You're kicked off the softball team. Oh. <gasps> the drama. Oh my gosh. What? If you had to elevator pitch this to somebody here as we sort of wrap up, oh. what what would you say about Honest Sunbeam to get someone to read it? I would say it's the perfect way of romanticizing your childhood while adjusting into adulthood. <laughs> the snaps. I. That's so hard because I've been trying all week to find the perfect elevator pitch to put this on Twitter out. Like I, it, it's hard because I post stuff from on a sunbeam and they're beautiful panels. They don't get a lot of engagement and I'm not sure why it's something that's harder to sell selling a quiet story i feel is harder to sell than anything else Mm -hmm. because a lot of people who read comics aren't exactly looking for that all the time but i have to say that this is like it's i it's shakespearean in scale it's 
a romance as big as the stars, if that could be. <laughs> I couldn't Put tell that on the book. <laughs> I couldn't tell if you were yawning or like oh, gasp. I <laughs> I'm like, did I do that bad that you were yawning? That that's all I got. I like it. I think I'd put, damn, it's good. Signed, Dallas Taylor. (laughs) Well, I didn't know we could just do that. It's like, it's aight. My taste is perfect. Signed, Dallas Taylor. Send. (laughs) This is one of the first books that, like, Lexi has texted out of the blue to let us know how much she liked it, though. (laughs) That's true. That is true. Unprompted. She told us she liked it. I went back and I searched... Tilly Walden on Twitter. Turns out I'm like 40% of all the tweets about that on Twitter. And so I was able to go back and see when I told all my friends to read Tilly Walden over the last two years. And I was like, mm-hmm. I've been playing the long game, bitches. Mm-hmm. We're finally here. Yeah, because you found mine from back in October. President, okay. Felt good. <laughs> I would love to talk with Tilly Walden. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're definitely going to do more of her books. Oh, yeah. Probably spinning next. Spinning is beautiful. Spinning is the keystone to it all. Once you read spinning, you're like, hmm. I thought it was the capstone to it all. Nope. The keystone <gasps> oh. holds it all together. No pun. Okay, fine. Hmm. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. We do have one listener question this week. Guess who it's from? Guess who? Guess who? It's our favorite Glenn Machette. Glenn. Fan club president. Glenn. He needs a sweatshirt. I appreciate how much you support and love us. Thank you. You make us feel very cool. And I like that. You're a good person. Mm-hmm. You so. are. Glenn says, hi, Sunbeams. Uh, it's actually softball team, Glenn. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite fictional starship? Also, which is each of your favorite fictional alien races? You know, you told us to think about that at the beginning, and then I forgot to think about it for the last hour, and so now I'm still in the same boat as when you asked me that question the first time. It's like the um the student who's like, so you remember how you gave us homework assignment last night? Well, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. That's me. What, how, how do we work this out? <laughs> um, favorite fictional starship. What other ones are there? The Millennium Falcon is my oh, answer. Oh, so you just going with the plebeian answer? Okay, I see how it is. I was gonna say that. But yeah, I knew that was dumb. Yeah. I'm gonna throw it out there. It's basic because it's true. It is so cool. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. I'm gonna. I like the Venator class starships, the Star Destroyers from the Clone Wars. Those are my favorite. They're really big, and they. I don't know. Um, honestly, I really like Serenity from Firefly. Serenity is home in space. Um, I really like the Planet Express ship from Futurama. Because that's the only one I can think of. And I love that show. <laughs> I like it. I I'll actually want to change I want to change my, an- oh. my answer. I love the Rosinante from The Expanse. That is a wonderful ship. Got it. Nerd. Okay, cool. I'll read it eventually. Don't look oh, at me like that. Can that's we list them good. off? What other ones are there? Quake Other spaceships. You've Does got the, the Enterprise mm-hmm. from Star Trek. Is Wonder, cool? never watched that. Does the TARDIS count, or is it? Yes, because it does. It goes yeah. in time too. Yeah, I say the, star, the TARDIS counts. Uh, the spaceship from Outer Darkness is great. It's like a Star Trek spaceship, but the engine is an evil god that they captured that they have to sacrifice ghosts to to power it. Okay, that's cool. 
It's very fun. It's Star Trek meets Ghostbusters is what Outer Darkness is. It's a very fun comic. I, I read that first issue when they brought in the prisoners. I'm like, what the hell? Oh my God. And then they get, they get minced. Love. Very good. Slave I'm, One or Boba Fett's Spaceship has oh, it now named. I forgot about those. It's a good one. It's a good um, one. The Razor Crest, rest in peace. what else do i like i like general grievous's ship that he's flying around in in revenge of the sith that they like not a happy landing (laughs) all right it's it's only that doesn't count it's only half a ship only half a ship i love star wars yeah Yeah, they've got a lot of cool ones in there they got some cool ships in star wars i like star wars too but then i met star wars fans and now I cannot say that I like it we as much. We are not Star Wars fans. Because they're mean. They are mean. Big mean. I, I've never been um, quote tweet attacked as much as I was when I said that Ray wasn't a Mary Sue. <gasps> they went mental. <laughs> exactly. They became it- rancors. <laughs> oh, Boba Fett's going to write it in the next episode. I guarantee it. Oh, you haven't finished the show yet, so you wouldn't know. Not caught um, up. There's People a rancor. Up today. You should. There's a rancor, if that gives you any motivation. That does. Oh, no. I did not like that monster in the first episode. It did not feel very Star Wars to me. Oh, the Star Wars, like, this weird centaur thing in the sand? Yeah, I was like, what the hell is this He-Man monster? It reminded <laughs> me of the the Kraken from Clash of the Titans, the original claymation one. I just, for whatever reason, I was like, you are not a Star Wars monster. I do not like you. But if we want to take a second and go on the other part of the question, favorite alien races, I love a lot in Star Wars. Um, General Grievous's race, I completely forget what it's called, but they're this really cool warrior culture. And bef- back in the EU, General Grievous was a badass. I loved him so much. But um, then, yeah, Clone Wars, uh, Revenge of the Sith came out and he became, you know, the the robot with asthma and it was not as great yo and gendy turovsky's clone wars he, I, that scene where he kills all the jedi in the spaceship dallas when i tell you that like 10 year old me lost my i bit, couldn't fucking breathe i right? was like this is the bad guy just <laughs> the bad guy in the next movie oh my god oh my god i literally i rewatched all those when they dropped on disney plus like two years mm-hmm. ago still is good Still, I was like, I could not breathe. He was so cool. The the chase scene with him and Coruscant. Shakti is such a baddie in right? those. I was like, Gendy, my king. Shakti <laughs> is a baddie. You're right. Shakti, the Jedi, so nice they fridged her twice. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. It, it definitely wasn't twice. It was more than that. When she dies on Felucia in that video game, Force Unleashed. Yep. It was brutal. 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 Playing that game. Dog, don't don't send me down a Star Wars hole. I. <laughs> you mean a Sarlacc pit? Ewoks. That was my answer. You ever been so scared of women you make it the bad guy space <laughs> monster out in the desert? Hmm. See, the nerds aren't liking Boba Fett because unlike them, he's been in a Sarlacc pit. Hey. <laughs> hey. Um. Also, um, Star Wars race. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. I think, <laughs> or the Yuuzhan Vong this race from the extended universe that's just like they come to the galaxy to fuck shit up and they fuck shit up 
they're like this really weird like masochistic race where they're like pain makes everyone stronger and they like terraform entire planets and they almost wiped out the jedi because they are not they can't be detected by the force they're immune to the force so it's like those little aliens that thrawn carries around with him in the trilogy the salamandry or something like that it's something that starts with the y i can never say the name out loud but yeah almost like that it's so it's yeah it's a lot harder for a jedi to fight someone who an opponent whose attacks they can't detect with the force and that caused some problems they actually they murdered chewie with a moon (gasps) literally chewie doesn't get to die (laughs) i i always found it funny that Chewie was the only one who died in the eu but everyone else died in canon (laughs) that is funny and chewie's just sitting there like pain i feel wookie pain when I, was um, younger, I was fully convinced that ewoks were just baby chewbacca's they are and i'm gonna believe that for that's the awesome I like ewoks that. also officially live in the redwood forest they do when, they're real that scene that scene in parks and rec when <laughs> he's when wyatt about. is walking through ben wyatt is walking through the the redwood forest and he goes i'm on endor right now <laughs> I felt that so hard. And then when he sits in the Iron Throne and he's like, I felt that too. He and I are the same kind of nerd. Or when he's weeping in the Batman costume. I feel like, unlike Big Bang Theory, that is a show that was secretly written by real nerds. Because like every nerd thing he does, I'm like, I too love Settlers of Catan. You're right. You're right. (laughs) You're right. That is us. My favorite alien race. I like... The Proto Molecule from The Expanse. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. I love Wookiees. I think they're great. I think Jawas are hilarious. My text tone has been Wootini for like three years. My text goes Wootini every time someone texts me. I love that. I love um, this addition to the lore. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Here we go. Star Wars lore. Once <laughs> upon a Christmas, I. So for all of you that like that video game story, Last week, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Um, here's another story. My phone has had the ringtone of Chewbacca going for years. And once upon a Christmas, there I was uh, at church. And I was up at the front of church. And I was I was getting ready. Oh, I was bad, like... Man. It's bad. It was bad. So as part of... Our, our church service, we were going to do um, like the, the Eucharist, basically. Uh, we call it the sacrament. A lot of people have different names for it. But anyway, so the whole congregation goes really quiet, right? And I'm standing there and my pocket is like perfectly level with a microphone. And I get a text over the silent congregation. <laughs> we should laugh everybody you could feel it in the room everybody was like <gasps> stiffened the, but you could hear the what? like creaking of the wooden pews as everyone's butt clenched like <laughs> what do we do especially the man then, that texted you yeah the no and then the other kid because i was like 16 the other kid next to me is this redhead kid he turns magenta trying <laughs> not to lose his marbles and then it happens a second time and it goes, and that's when everybody loses it. Everybody starts to lose 
their mind just laughing. You've got grandmas in the front on oxygen, like <laughs> the congregation has lost their marbles. I thought dad Our, that day. I was yo, I was ghost white. I was looking at my dad sitting there because my dad's got bad ears so he didn't know what was happening he was just sitting there looking around like why is everybody laughing so much and everybody's <laughs> losing their marbles and finally our like our pastor or had to get up and be like uh we need everyone to calm down and we're gonna try this again this from again? the top <laughs> we're gonna try one more time from the top and that was that was one of the more stellar moments of my life frankly so wookies are at church yeah, that it was a guy me. at church that texted me to be like, hey, send my kids back by me when you're done. Oh, and also make sure your phone's on silent. That's what, that's what he said the second time. The second yeah. text was, hey, should have had your phone on silent. Oh, my fucking God. That's that's evil. Yeah, because he was I, like in charge of the teenage boys. Yeah, he was a villain. A villain. Justin Anderson, if you listen to this, you're a villain. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> you're a good guy, but you're a villain. That's something I would do. So <laughs> I would have texted and like, and then sent another one. Loser, <laughs> then send. Yeah, so that's I love Wookies. <laughs> All right, Lexi, how about you? Favorite alien race? Ewoks are number one. Okay, bears. based. And then also, I I remember being like amazed by the Avatar blue people. Absolutely mind blown when I was like seven. So ever since then. They're number one. And I'm also kind of excited for the second movie. So I'm not going to lie. Whenever it comes out. I'm going to be 30. but I'm glad someone is. Alexis is the only person at Pocahontas in space. Nope. Dude, those dragons (laughs) spoke to me. I mean, I I remember thinking it was pretty. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's, haven't watched it in years. Yeah. Nor have I. It's really. It was really pretty on the big they're screen. They're kind of cool. Yeah, they're kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Kind of cool. It's all right. We can and move on. So that. People can't fester on that. <laughs> <laughs> I I just keep thinking about how nice it'd be to hug a Wookiee. Oh, or I feel like they'd be sweaty. A little bear. I feel like Chewbacca's greasy. Yeah, okay, Chewbacca's but do Wookiees? You know, Ewoks smell like pine trees. Ewoks would smell like pine trees, but I bet Ewoks have a bunch of dingleberries. I feel like that's the trade-off. I'll just hold one of the little ones. Because, like, I went to cuddle my cat the other day, and then I saw she had a dingleberry, and I was like, how does someone who cleans her butthole all day miss a spot, you little idiot? That's right. I, was, um, I was being dumb for a second. I was about to ask what the fuck a dingleberry was, but now I know. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, my gosh. Chewbacca probably has some too, but that's besides the point. I just feel like Chewbacca's got like greasy hair. You know what I mean? When you pet a dog and you're like, you're kind of greasy. Little dog. He does. He probably. Wait, if Wookiees don't sweat, do they pant? (laughs) Okay, we're we're quickly coming off the rails. Do we want to wrap this up? We should. We should. I was going to say, there's a lot of people coming into the house, so we might need to wrap this up. Okay, we'll, we'll get this done. Okay, let's pull out our script at the end, folks. Ah, I don't have my phone, so I'm going to wing it. Nice. I can go. I can start. I'm ready. Do it. All right. (laughs) Gross. Um, If you like the show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective, or you can find each of us at our personal accounts. 
at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you like the show and want to show your support, make sure you go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to, and give us a five-star review, and we will read it off on the show. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. Thank you so much, everybody. Next week, we will be talking about... Alexis, <gasps> tell us your book. Wait. Oh, my book? Is it Bone? Wait. Finally? Are we are we doing that next or are we doing Sex Criminals next? False. I, I lied. We're doing Sex Criminals next. <laughs> I, was like, I, don't even, I don't even have my phone in front of me. I don't even have the schedule. I, I do. got this down. I, I got like, this down. Wrong? I'm not wrong? Next week, everybody, we'll be talking about Sex Criminals, the whole series, with, with. the comic book couples counseling. Brad Ooh. and Lisa Gullickson, two of my favorite people, oh, are coming yes. on our show mm-hmm. to talk about relationships sex and crime all at the same time it's gonna be great it's gonna be great hey well everyone all right goodbye everyone everyone. we love you (laughs) see you next week (laughs) 